so uh, several months ago, I covered this topic on, you know, there are no toilets in the Millennial Kingdom. And then about three or four weeks ago, John Q gave a presentation where he talked about the uh, the toilets at Versailles, or the lack of toilets, the, the poop problem. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Now, Versailles is another place that's very personal to me because it was just, I have such splendid memories of visiting it with my family and when we were living in France. And I wanted to go look into it myself and see what these sources are. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to cover this section of the paper again because I have added to it twice uh, with new additions since covering it several months ago. So for some of you, this might be new. For some of you, it might be review. And um, let's get right into it. Royal Pains. So again, we're going to be talking about how within these Millennial Kingdom cities, castles, uh, palaces, cathedrals, we don't see toilets. We don't see plumbing. Indoor plumbing was a Roman pastime. The Romans designed entire aqueducts necessary for the transportation of water into bathhouses and public toilets, sometimes from 100 kilometers away. Very impressive engineering. They were so adept at the toilet game that they'd line entire rooms full of them so that men or women could sit around and appreciate the plumbing without taking a break from conversation. That is all you really need to know about history, that the Romans had indoor plumbing. But not the wealthy elite, the most noblest of knights, nor the kings and priests of medieval times, all of whom inherited Roman advancements in sanitations but were incapable of telling the difference, apparently, between toilet paper and a pine cone. Because it was the Dark Ages, you see. It would take Queen Elizabeth's first godson, Sir John Harrington, to create the first flushing toilet in 1596, as soon as the Dark Ages were over, which is kind of interesting, again, with the timeline. And then finally, somebody named Thomas Crapper to turn it into an art form in the 1860s. Among the hundreds of church and abbey projects in medieval England alone, the construction of each structure took an average of 250 through 300 years, if you can believe that, to build these places. And all that time, and we're talking entire father to son, to son, to son, to son, to son, to son, building projects, nobody was remotely concerned about the pooping problem. You'd think somebody would connect a couple of tubes together and then tell the king or queen they'd solved their stink issues, hoping for a raise. Much like NASA's inability to return to the moon some 50 years after, after the fact, they had lost the technology to design plumbing and it was too painful to build it up again. That must be it. That joke will never get old. I'm going to be repeating that every week for the rest of my life. You are apparently looking at a medieval toilet right this very moment. Don't stand too close. I'd also su suggest closing your mouth while staring up at it because that's the pee hole you're standing under. It is generally known as a uh, garter robe. Though other names included the drought, gong, siege house, Necessarium and my personal favorite, the Golden Tower. We are told the castle residents would carefully line up one hole with another and then have a bowel movement. The squat would then splatter down the wall and into the moat. Very lovely picture. And we'll, I'll show you some historical sources of uh, apparently people would just walk under it too. No big deal. Well, if the water didn't keep the dragon out, then I'm sure the sledge did the trick. Who knew the first long drops originated from a penthouse? 
<laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you thought you felt a breeze from two feet off the earth, then try 40 feet up. On a shrill, windswept English morning, that hole had to have been whistling. Now, people make the joke about like a two-story outhouse. Like, we're talking like a several-story outhouse at this point. How many gong drops were there in any given castle exactly? I tried getting to the bottom of that question, but to no avail. I've got two bathrooms in my house, and with two sons, a wife, and a daughter, it's rarely enough. Imagine an entire castle after the chef didn't wash his hands or the mayonnaise went bad. There simply weren't enough holes. I'm only counting one. If the only other golden tower were on the opposite end of the castle, imagine the pain and agony. Have you ever sprinted up or down those spiraling towers while clenching the butt cheeks? Talk about impossible engineering. The pooping problem has led me in the past to claim that the people who inhabited these castle walls, as well as cathedrals and palaces, were breatharians. A breatharian is somebody who does not require food or water for his or her day-to-day -day living needs. No obligatory digestion system. A, breath a breatharian simply receives energy directly from the ether, much as a plant would. Somebody who fully devotes themselves to the lifestyle would begin to de-age within several years or so, I'm told. My attempt in attributing the Breatharian concept to the resurrected kings and priests of Messiah's kingdom was a noble effort and probably very close to the truth, but still extremely limiting when, in fact, the set-apart feasted and feasted well. The seven cyclical holy days of Yahuwah alone would frustrate any Breatharian schedule. You'd think they would have needed plumbing then. You know who else didn't have bathrooms? The children of Yashuel, while wandering through the wilderness, didn't have bathrooms. The camp was something like 12 square miles. No bathrooms and no plumbing required. Imagine having to carry your pot for six entire miles every time you wanted to dump it for sanitary purposes. I mean, even if you were on the outskirts and you still had to walk a mile, you're walking a mile there and a mile back, right? Six miles there, six miles back, that's 12 miles. I mean, that's it's a long walk for anybody. I've heard tall tales regarding backpackers carrying their poop out in plastic baggies during a weekend trip, but we're talking 40 years of potty business. It's the poop problem all over again, which has long been discussed in theological circles. It's been a problem. Well, I think I finally figured out what was going on during the Millennial Kingdom. We read this in Revelation 2.17. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Ruach says and to the called out assemblies. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knows saying he that receives it. They ate manna. I need to comment on that, that stone sometime. I need to look more into that. Just as the children of Yashara once did in the wilderness, before you go and ask me for evidence of the manna's whereabouts, as if the leftovers would be sold in the castle souvenir gift shop, need I remind you that it is hidden manna. I couldn't possibly know where that is. A closed mouth catches no flies, and the resurrected sainthood aren't talking. Here is another clue in all of this. Uh, this comes from the Legends of the Jews, Volume 3. There were good reasons for not exceeding a day's ration in the daily downpour of manna. Firstly, they, that they might be spared the, the need of carrying it on their wanderings. Secondly, that they might daily receive it hot. Uh, let me just skip ahead, and you guys know where I'm going with this anyways, and I actually covered this in my presentation. We see in the highlighted section down there that the manna 
that the mana would be used in the future world. Uh, in the future world, mana will be set before them. And then I, again, comment on the highlighted section, those who partake of it become equal to the angels in strength. And furthermore, like them, have no need of easing themselves. As mana is entirely dissolved in the body, not until they sinned did they have to ease themselves like ordinary mortals. And then again in the highlighted section, one had only to desire a certain dish, and no sooner had he thought of it that manna had the flavor of the dish desired. Manna is the grain of heaven grounded and prepared by culinary angels. It is also the food of angels according to Psalm 78, 24 through 25. No wonder why so many people whined like disgruntled ponies after realizing they'd be, they'd be eating that stuff every day for 40 years. Never mind the fact that angels eat manna every single day for eternity and think be and think being a badass soldier with a flaming sword and a chariot with flames decal, uh, decal is a sweet gig. I guess that just goes to show those inadequate souls who don't desire heaven here on earth will think its food uh, think its food is not worthy of them. So if basically, if, if you don't find the, the food of heaven appetizing, maybe you're not going to find heaven appetizing. Can you imagine having to delight in it for a thousand years then? Waking up to the piping hot aroma of the boulangerie, assaulting your senses every morning, and then being told to fill the breadbaskets to your delight. Such a burden, I'm sure. Baklava is for chumps. And then here we see an update right here. Don't you just love it when a second witness arrives at the courtroom? Several months ago, I offered you a passage from LOTJ regarding the scrumptious flavor of manna and then pass it off as something biblical, having nothing else to back it up with. Well, the protest can stop now. I found one. So this comes from the Ascents of Yaakov 3.3. This would be Clementine literature. But when Moshe had gone up to the mount and was staying there 40 days, the people, although they had seen Mitzrayim struck with 10 plagues, and the sea parted and passed over them on foot, manna also given to them from heaven for bread, and drink supplied to them out of the rock that followed them, which kind of food was turned into whatever taste anyone desired. Boom. The Nazarene Acts of the Apostles is a completely different source from the modern-day Talmudist who collected the stories in LOTJ. It's why I keep saying there is much truth to be found in there, in Religions of the Jews and some of these other texts, even if you have to bring your salt shaker. You can't say it's a Kabbalah thing either. The writer of the book identifies himself as Kifa. Even he was under the impression that manna was turned into whatever taste anyone desired. It makes you wonder what he thought about the poop situation. If only we could jump into a time machine and ask him. Not too long ago, I caught another screen of Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. <clears throat> you catch a lot of them when you have small children in your house. Reading about how the manna will take on any dish or, or flavor which its connoisseur wishes, I'm reminded of that scene where Violet Beauregard grabs the experimental gum right out of Willy Wonka's hands and then proceeds to chew upon it. She tasted hot and creamy tomato soup and then roast beef and a baked potato for the second course. The blueberry pie and cream are what did her in. She blew up like a balloon being so full of dessert. The Oompa Loompas had to roll her out of the garderobe, <laughs> the, uh, the golden tower, to squeeze it out of her. Uh, Roll doll must have been in the know because that's precisely what it was like for naughty little children during Messiah's kingdom.
Look what else it says in Legends of the Jews. The, the manna would be set out for the children of Yashorel in the future world. That's speaking of Messiah's kingdom on earth. They ate manna daily, still prepared by the angels. You figure the sinners had nothing better to do than rebel against a perfectly good thing, which is precisely why they would need their own lineup of celebrities, men like Thomas Crapper. Because that's the other thing. Immortals had no need of easing themselves as manna is entirely dissolved in the body. No wonder they didn't need bathrooms. The castles and the cathedrals and the places, the palaces of old were built for the saint rather than the sinner. Sure, a mortal might swipe some manna from grandma's cabinet, but they'd be paying a visit to the Golden Tower on their way out. The Oompa Loompas probably ended up drilling that pee hole in the first place so as to cart them there. Now, here's my latest update that I was um, hinting at when we started, that I, the reason why I'm reading this to go over this. Once the poo-poo potty was finally introduced to Victorian-era Europe, the French apparently didn't know what to do with them, seeing as how they were so used to crapping themselves, but mostly just taking a dump while they walked. And no, I am not making this, uh, <laughs> I can't say that word, but I mean, it's the situation we're dealing with, right? Some things are, are not just poop and crap, let's put it that way. This is a pretty messed up situation. That's what the official narrative tells us. Even in their royal palaces, the French have the habit of letting it all out. Have you ever been to Versailles? I have. It's glorious. The place is practically constructed of golden goose shells. But then the official narrative is bold enough to tell us Louis XIII had it built for a hunting lodge. He built a golden palace to hunt deer in on the weekends. Oh, sure. Because nothing says deer blind quite like chandeliers and banisters of gold. Still not one of his architects thought up a bathroom though. They couldn't even muster up the budget for a pee hole. Flamboyant powder-faced royals just crapped all over it. Just ask a tour guide. They'll tell you it's residents with squat and hallway corners. And I'm not making this up. Anywhere they could find that was lighted with a golden candlestick. Eventually, the palace became so overrun with excrement that the royal apartments, uh, the Dauphin and Dauphine, were gated off just to ensure that the commoners, the little people, didn't take a dump near it. That's not even the whole of it, though. I am showing you a picture of one such royal. Are you ready for her name? Let's see. I'm not ready to pronounce this. Uh, Francois de Bracas, Princess de Harcourt. Did I get that right or anywhere close to being right? Don't let her flowery sash or her milky white complexion fool you, though. She was one of Versailles' most vile and serial crappers of them all. And quite unlike the commoners, huddling in the corners, Princess de Harcourt couldn't even be reckoned among the squatters. Nope. The princess apparently just relieved herself while walking. She was too good to squat. She just, just, you know, held her face up and balanced a glass of water on her head while she just let it out. The poop and the pee would run down her legs and then cling to her dress, leaving a trail as she shashayed like the pretty little graceful princess she was down the staircase, uh, banisters built of gold and hallways. Are you buying any of this? Oh, sure. They use chamber pots as well. But then did you hear, eventually, that's what they tell us, 
But then did you hear about that time when Marie Antoinette was walking about in the garden? Somebody by the name of Madame du Barry emptied a chamber pot from her apartment up above and landed on Marie's head because at least some of its residents were smart enough to chuck their poop from the window rather than squatting underneath the staircase banister. Oh, so I have heard that story told to me, and it never seems to occur to anyone why Marie Antoinette would be walking along the poop trail in the first place. That is so disgusting. At Versailles, you may be regaled with Marie Antoinette poop stories if you ask the right foam-fingered tour guide. Like that time when there was so much excrement and in Antoinette's kitchen that it was a flooded miss. Good times, I'm sure. Yeah, apparently her kitchen one time, they couldn't even cook in there because it was so filled with poop. Never mind the fact that the Palace of Versailles included included a series of exquisite fountains strewn about the garden landscape because the Louise were so concerned with the building project's skyrocketing budget that they had a decision to make, indoor or outdoor plumbing. Did I tell you that when somebody got the bright idea of introducing indoor uh, piping, they leaked into the walls, filling each and every room with the aroma not even not even the Romans had that problem. 